Good morning. We have two cases today submitted on the briefs. The first, Villa Gastelum, number 19-72945-271547. Those consolidated cases, Villa Gastelum v. Garland, will be submitted on the briefs. Our second case submitted on the briefs today is number 23-9, Guzman-Maldonado v. Garland, also submitted on the briefs. We'll hear argument first this morning in number 21-15829, Jordan v. Howard. Ms. Tucker. Good morning. Good morning. May it please the Court. Lee Tucker for Mark Jordan. I'll reserve two minutes for rebuttal. I'll keep an eye on the clock. Your Honors, when Mark Jordan stepped in and ended the knife fight between Kenneth Mills and Paul Weakley, there were no Bureau of Prison guards in the vicinity, no one there in the area who had eyes on it. Furthermore, none of the prison staff or guards were observing the surveillance monitors, which had real-time footage showing the attack happening. No one was there. Mark Jordan stepped in, placed his foot on the wrist of Weakley, who was holding the knife, said, break it up, kicked the knife away. Both men stood up and walked away. Had Mark not intervened, it's not unlikely that either Mills or Weakley could have ended up dead and joined the numbers of people who are victims of homicide in U.S. prisons every year. But he did. And if he hadn't, the Bureau of Prisons would have spent the next few days calling the bereaved family, being interviewed by the FBI, girding themselves for a possible lawsuit. Yes, Your Honor. I assume all that's true, and I think nothing in this record suggests to the contrary. Can a prison have a rule that says one prisoner may not break up a fight, among others, through the use of physical force? They could have that rule. That's not the rule that's issued here. That's the next question I wanted to get to. It seems to me pretty clear they could, and there might be good reasons for it. We don't want a third person involved in the fight. It's harder for us to police. We don't know what will result. There's a Seventh Circuit case that sort of says there's no constitutional right to defense of others. In this case, the hearing officer, the DOH, said, even if everything you say is true, Mr. Jordan, our rules prohibit you from doing this. So it seems to me they said they had such a rule. I disagree, Your Honor. Okay, tell me why. Yeah, if I may, that's not what the DHO said here. Well, I can read you the exact language from what he said. Go ahead, tell me what you think he said. The DHO said it doesn't matter. The DHO was addressing the issue of whether or not the actions by Mr. Jordan constituted an assault under Code 224. And the elements of that, of course, are violence, the threat of violence, battery, including the unconsented touching of another. And the DHO is very specifically looking at that. Well, here's his language. DHO LEWAG. Despite Jordan's intentions and Weakley's gratitude, the DHO believes Jordan had no right to step in and physically break up an altercation between two inmates. And then he said directly after that, 
though your intent may have been to quell the situation, you have no right to place your foot on another inmate. So he seems to be saying that's our rule. And then what the DHO said was because I determine you have no right, I'm finding this to be by definition an assault and a violation of 224. Okay, so that's what I wanted to work backwards from. Assuming, let's assume there is no right of an inmate to come to the defense of another. Okay? Because that's what the DHO said. At the common law, it's an affirmative defense to assault. It's not a right, but an affirmative defense. But let's assume in prison it is not. At the prison rule is you may not do this. If that is the prison rule, and I know you don't think it is, tell me why the discipline in this case was, I think you would say, violates due process. There are three things there. I just want to first acknowledge that Your Honor recognizes we don't agree that that is the prison rule. That's what this DHO said in the context of the 224. Okay, and I understand. I'm just asking you to assume that. And the Seventh Circuit is an outlier in that. But the Seventh Circuit opinion in any event was about a due process rule. Correct. And the question here is what we have is a prison regulation that uses the word assault. The definition of assault isn't even in the regulation, is it? Your Honor, the definition of the assault is in Code 224, but it's not in 541.8. I see. But it is in a prison document. Yes, Your Honor. Not just in the DOH opinion. Correct, Your Honor. All right. And that definition is essentially the common law definition. Yes. Without the common law defense. Right. So can we talk, can we deal with this case without getting to the defense? My understanding is that we can. Because the question is, was there actually an assault? And that depends on whether it was unwanted. And Mr. Although the DOH, is that what they call DOH? DHO. DHO says that Mr. Weakley expressed his gratitude. He did more than that. He said it was not unwanted in the past tense. At the time is what I understand him to be saying. So if one takes that as, but the DHO also says that he is giving Mr. Weakley less credit, less credence. I don't know what less credence and more credence means. So what do we, how does that fit in? Yes, Your Honor. That's interesting because the DHO gestures towards making a factual finding about Weakley's credibility and whether or not it was unwanted, but never does. Ultimately says. He does say you've changed stories about whether you were his friend or not his friend. And therefore I give your statements less weight, he says. Right. So two things. First of all, about Weakley's statements. Second of all, again, the DHO never relies on Weakley's statements or Weakley's consent or non-consent in its ultimate determination. Instead it says it's by definition an assault. But as to Weakley's statements, both his 2010 statement and his 2016 statement said it wasn't an assault. Well, he said it wasn't an assault. I agree. He never said I consented in advance to Mr. Jordan stepping on my hand, did he? So 
Right. As we say in our brief and point out, it's um, somewhat intuitive, but to to not consent is not the same as to not invite. And we don't know weekly state of mind. And the well, t- But there is some other – Judge Berzon is the, the question I was trying to take you up to, which is let's assume that defense of others is not incorporated into the prison thing. Is there evidence here of an assault? And what's in this record is evidence that Mr. Jordan said – Break it up. And they, they, then they continued to tussle the people on the ground. Uh, no, they, they did not. They did not. Well, it's Tucker, I, they did not break it up when he said break it up. They, they broke it up after he stepped on Week, Mr. Weekly's hand. That's what the video shows, correct? Yes, he stepped on the hand and said break it up, and they broke it up. Well, does, is, that's what I was going to ask. I thought the record showed that he said break it up and then stepped on his hand. Am I wrong about that? My understanding is it was essentially coterminous, the timing. Well, I guess my question is, couldn't a, a, a finder of fact find that when somebody said break it up and the people, cont- if, it, if he said it first and then the people continued to fight, that there was no consent to the touching? Your Honor, um no, that may not be the fact in this case. No, that's not the record. I, I listen, is, is that the record? the record? That's my question. I, I don't agree that that is the record. Well, tell me, tell me where and in the record. It's I, also the case. Tell me what, well, just tell me since we're, we're, the record may be of some importance. Tell me where in the record I can, I can determine whether or not he said it as he stepped on his hand or before he stepped on his hand. The description of the salt, the, the description of the video is at page 59 of the record. Uh, and there's also a report from a from an officer. What does he say? He just repeats what the video showed. Nobody saw it. Right, and we don't have the video. We don't have the video. Right, so what does the officer say the video showed, which is, I think, what the DHO was basing his conclusions but on? But can I just ask, Your Honor, I don't think I'm understanding the import of this Well, here, question. so let me – it may, may make no difference. To me, it seems to me that a finder of fact – could infer consent if somebody said, break it up, people ignored him and did not break it up, and then, and then thereafter someone stepped on the hand of one of them. We can infer the absence of consent. And so my question is, can I tell when the break it up occurred with respect to the stepping on the hand? My recollection, although I must admit, you now got me doubting myself on this, that the, the officer seemed to say he first, he said break it up and then stepped on his hand. And now you, Judge Rosan suggested it was essentially contemporaneous. I'm trying to figure out where in the record, since I don't have the video, I can find this. And Ms. Tucker, we'll give you a, a couple minutes for rebuttal. Um, and then I'll have a question after you're able to respond on these record issues. Thank you, Your Honor. Which page number did you say was the description? 59, Your Honor, and I believe also at 209. At 209, it's reproduced in the uh, order of the magistrate judge. So um, I guess I have a a different question. Um, Is there a difference between the greater weight of the evidence, uh, some evidence? How does it compare to substantial evidence? Um, We could talk all day about this record. Uh, but this is an administrative finding of fact um, by people who were still somewhat removed, but by law closer to the incident. How are we to assess the um, standard of, uh, we're reviewing this de novo, but what's the standard of fact finding that we're supposed to hold the Bureau to? 
Thank you, Your Honor. Right. So Mr. Jordan presented claims both under due process, the due process clause, which is the sum evidence standard as outlined by Hill, and the greater weight of the evidence, which is the uh, the regulations requirement that if there is conflicting evidence, which there was here, that the um, <clears throat> matter be determined by the greater weight of the evidence. And what's our standard of review of the the administrative finding that the greater weight of the evidence supported discipline. We don't get DeNovo. to. I, I've asserted you have de novo review to determine whether the greater weight of the evidence was met. And Hill, there's or, or been do some we have confusion. De, that's, the, that's the question I think yeah. Judge Johnson was asking. Or is our review to determine whether any rational finder of fact could have found this by the greater weight of the evidence? I mean, that's what we typically do in criminal cases, for example, even though the Proof has to be beyond a reasonable doubt. Our review is just to see whether any rational finder of fact could have found it by that standard. I don't believe this circuit has stated that. There has been a court that said it should be whether any rational um, uh, finder of fact could have so found, and I will get that case for you. No, and that's, that's, I think that is the standard, and that's what I'm what, What's the it? The, the it is in the instance of a 2240... For, uh, Whether the, there was a greater way to... In, in what context is what I'm asking. Um, whether there... Is, is, is it in, a, in, in reviewing a prison finding a fact in a, in a disciplinary case or what? I mean, what, in, in what context are we doing this? In the context of determining whether the... I know, but, but what is the, the statutory... I mean, that's not what we do in a 2255. This is not a 2255, right? Um, in, say, 20... This is a 20... When, this is a... a, a 22... 2241. Uh, yeah. All right. Is that the context, or is it specifically in the prison disciplinary context, or in what context are we, are we talking about this? Um, well, I, we're talking about it in the context of the... 2241 on a prison. I'm sorry, Your Honor, I'm not being very helpful, but I think that regardless of the standard here, it is met because the prison and then the magistrate judge, and again, this court is the first court to review the magistrate judge's decision here, both of them said it doesn't matter whether or not there was an unconsented touching. And so both of them said we don't care about this element. And where did, where did, did, where did either of them say it doesn't matter that there was unconsented touching? Well, I know you think the touching was unconsented, but I don't see either in the magistrate judges, and really it's the district court here because it was page two, mm-hmm, page 222 of the excerpts from the order of the magistrate judge. Petitioner's focus on whether or not the contact was unwanted is without merit. And again, Un- unwanted is opposed to unconsent. See, consent is different than wanted, isn't it? Yes, but, but the magistrate judge is conflating yeah. the two. And I thought generally everybody was conflating the yes, two. Yes, we everybody. are. It has been yeah. throughout this. One thing I was curious about is in the law of assault generally, or in this particular context, is the unwanted a subjective? Is the fact that Weakley says it was unwanted, is it his state of mind that matters? Is it Jordan's state of mind that matters? Is it an objective person's state of mind that matters? How do you decide what's unwanted? 
That's a good question, Your Honor. I think here we don't have to get to that because Weekly had the only evidence they have as to Weekly's state of mind was that it was not unwanted. Right. And the only evidence we have as to Jordan's state of mind was that he was intervening to break up the fight, not to commit an assault or an unwanted is, is, or an is un- touching. I'm sorry. And we, 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 don't worry about your time for a moment. Is, is unwanted the test or is consented the test? I, in looking at I mean, this is a little bit of a strange case because consent is normally an affirmative defense, but it seems to be under this prison regulation one of the elements of the offense, the absence of consent. The so, language, so is unwanted different than consent? Well, the language at issue is unconsented to, right. which is a little interesting that they chose to focus on that because it also the code also encompasses battery, and the unconsented to touching is much more difficult. Yeah, this is. I mean, it's it's somewhat difficult to fit this into common law or even outside pegs because in the common law, the assent, the, the offense is the unconsent, is the touching, the offense of touching, and consent is an affirmative defense. Here, consent seems to be built into the elements of the offense, and that's why I'm asking whether unwanted is the same as consent. For our purposes, I would say there's no meaningful distinction. I mean, it, again, I'm having trouble finding with the DHO said here, but I'll maybe I can ask you about it when you get back up. Yes, Your right. Honor. He but said, essentially, I thought he said, this is essentially automatically an assault. That is what he said, Your right. Honor. By definition, the action was an assault with no examination of the elements. All right. Thank, Thank you, you, Ms. Tucker. We'll give you two minutes on rebuttal. Thank you. Mr. Schmidt. May it please the court. Good morning. My name is Micah Schmidt. I represent the respondent warden. This court should affirm the lower court's detailed, comprehensive, and legally correct order upholding the prison disciplinary findings. I'm going to jump into some of the questions you guys had. Can I, can I jump into one of them? Because this is the one that surprised me. Is there any support in the record or any finding that um, Jordan first said break it up and then stepped on his hand? Fair question. There isn't any. And yeah. with respect to Judge Hurwitz, there, it would appear, and I'll concede it to a plaintiff's uh, petitioner's counsel, it would appear the best that we can glean from the available evidence is that it was probably coterminous, I mean, okay. within seconds of one. And, and Jordan himself says that it was in the other order, that he first stepped on his hand and then said break it up. I think that's fair to say. Okay. Under assuming that's true, uh, what is there, and assuming, as I think, uh, is probably correct given the regulation, that it's your burden to show the absence of consent. What is the evidence of the absence of consent? Very good question. I think that actually is the nub of the, the crux of this 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 case, because um, it relates to all three of the the issues being presented. It's an inference, and to go back to what Judge Johnstone was referring to, and Judge Berzon, this is an objective standard. It's a reasonable person standard. To the extent that you at all review whether or not self-defense or defense of others plays into this. We're not talking about defense of others. We're talking about the unwanted 
element. Correct. Let's back out the defense of others. Fair enough. Then the evaluation, because all you're getting is self-serving statements. That's just the nature of the crime, the incident. So to the extent that you have to decipher what occurred there. Why is it self-serving for Mr. Weakley to say I was, it was not unwanted? Who's he serving by saying that? We get back to Judge Horowitz's observation that we had conflicting credibility statements. Well, whatever, but it's not self-serving on the part of Weakley. It is on the part of Weakley if they became friends. So in 2016. He became friends because he was grateful to him because he saved him from dying. That's why they became friends. There can be all kinds of reasons for loyalties in the prison system, respectfully. So, you know, if in 2010 he says we don't know each other, and then in 2016 he says we were friends. He didn't say we were friends. He said it was my friend. It was my friend. Right. But he didn't say we were friends. Well, the short answer is we don't know why they were friends. Correct. And it seems to me the real question here is not whether the DHO should have credited or must have credited Weakley's statements. And, by the way, none of them say I consented at the time to the touching. My question is what is the evidence of the absence of consent here? A reasonable finder of fact has to find, I think, under this circumstance, with this strange prison rule where it's not an affirmative defense but part of the elements, that the touching was unconsented to. Yes. So tell me where, tell me how a finder of fact on the evidence in this case could reasonably find it was unconsented to. And I apologize. That was Judge Berzon's original question. Yeah, and it's still, that's why I want to take you back to it because it's the critical question. I was getting there. So in order to appreciate how that finding came about, one needs to first understand the dynamics of the original assault. The original assault is Mills attacks Weakley. Mills has a knife. Weakley takes it away. We've read the record, and unfortunately we don't have the video. Correct. So tell me again. So when Jordan, the petitioner, enters that combat, he is unaware of the origin of that combat. When he enters the scene, he sees Weakley with the shank, and Mills is on top of him. And when he enters, he steps out. Where does Mills being on top of him come from, by the way? I don't know if it matters, but the DHO says that, and maybe because he's looking at the film, but the written evidence seems to be that they were side by side. I don't know whether it matters, but I don't know where the notion that he was on top of him came from. Maybe it doesn't matter. The point is that the victim, and this is what I'm alluding to about the origin versus when the petitioner approaches the combatants. When the petitioner approaches, the victim is now defending himself and has wrested away the shank. So the question is. Carlton's report says that. Everybody says that. And in the first hearing, Mr. Jordan says that's what happened. After the DHO reads the report, he says that's what's happened. So do we have, now this is my question, do we have the Carlton report in the record? The which report? The report that says SIS tech reported that he viewed video con and observed and everything else. Is that in the record in front of us? It's in, it's Lieutenant Allen's statement. Where is it? Where is it? I mean, it says in the magistrate judge's report, 
It's what SIS Tech Calton observed. Is is Alan just reporting what Calton observed? Calton reviewed the video. Correct. Yes, I, well, I believe. I believe Alan reviewed the video as well. Okay, so wherever this this talks about response, document 12, exhibit A, attachment 2, in the magistrate judge's report. Where is that in our record? It's not in the excerpts of record, as close as I can find. Is it somewhere else in the record? Uh, I did come across it, Judge. Okay, well, we can keep looking. I don't want to use your time to look. Thank you. I'm trying to understand um, the usual course of these um, findings uh, for for disciplinary purposes. Um, Should we expect, for example, a finding, um, a specific finding on the record that the touching was unconsented if it were an element? Yes, and I think you can still find that, and I, I'm, I'm getting there with those two other Wait, questions. Did the, did the, um, what's your, your best excerpt from the DHO's decision that the DHO found that it was finding? Not incidental because it met the definition of assault, but that based on his review of the record, which um, need only meet this lower standard of yes. some or greater evidence well, um, so, that it was unconsented. So you have the, the, the participants' statements, which I submit to you are self-serving, regardless of so what they are. I, I, I want to – I'm looking at the agency. That's who we're reviewing. Right. So the agency looked at the, the combatants, looked at the circumstances, how the roles had flipped, how the victim was now the but, one but the that was being is, interfered as with. as I understand – Nope. The DHO said this is by definition assault. Right? He did say that. Yes. Did he ever make a finding that it was unwanted? You've made a finding that it was unconsented to. It's on Where? the third, third page of the DHO. Fourth page. Where you have uh, Roman numeral number what, seven. What page are we on in the record? Uh, in the SER, it's 41. In the DHO, it would be the, the uh, fourth out of the five pages. SER, tell me again. 41, is that what you're saying? SER 41, yes. So you have Roman numeral 7, and it defines assault, and then it gives its opinions or reasons for finding that assault. Is this the third rehearing finding? It's the 2016 finding, which is being appealed. Yes, yeah, the last one. Yes. And, and, and the crux of that is that no, no victim would consent to being interfered with. This is the answer to both of your well, questions. Well, in fact, this one would have, um, because he was not actually the original victim, uh, and he uh, he was the original victim. Yeah. No, I mean Weekly. he was the original victim, right? Yes. And he and he he was the original victim. He had rested the the knife away or the the shank away. Correct. But he had no reason to think he was going to be able to hold on to it. So we don't know. It, I know we don't know, but if you want to speculate as to whether he would have appreciated somebody coming in and and getting rid of that knife and and making the the thing at least non-lethal, he probably would have because he had had it at the moment, but he had no reason to think he was going to keep it. In Petitioner's own statement, he said that that Mills came after him with the intent of murdering him. Right. That's how terrified he was. That's how terrified he was. Now he's in that in the few seconds in which. That victim sustained cuts to his neck, 
serious enough to have to be taken out of the FMC, out of that uh, federal mm-hmm. penitentiary, to a local hospital for treatment. Mm-hmm. That's how serious his neck lacerations exactly. were. And therefore, the fact that somebody got the knife out of the way was quite possibly, he said it was wanted, and it's perfectly logical it would have been. After the fact, he said that. Mr. Schmidt, do you have the sequence of weekly statements for a moment? Yes. Um, As I recall, at some point, Mr. Jordan tried to get him to come to, I think it's the second hearing, the first rehearing, and he said, I'm not going to come. Uh, look at the video, it shows everything. Uh, so he wouldn't, and, and he wouldn't be interviewed at that point. And he later submits a declaration or... Very and, long one. But he, that's not, he does not consenting to be interviewed at that point, is he? Was a request that he be interviewed at that point? This is of the petitioner or weekly? A weekly. Was, weekly I, says three things. I mean, he says something at the first one. I... He says, at the second one, he says, look at the video. I don't have anything to add. At the third one, he has a declaration. Was he ever interviewed in an, in, on any of those occasions? And is, does the record indicate whether he would, he can, consented to be interviewed or not? Your Honor, I do see my time is up. You, you can take time to answer. I, I don't believe the record indicates how or what precipitated his his varied um, statements that he's made. Yeah, I know, we know from the record that he declined to show up at the second one. Correct. Mr. Jordan asked that he be there, and his response was, look at the video, it shows right. everything. Right. I just don't know whether, when you said he, he declined to be interviewed, I'm trying to figure out how I can find that out from the record. Well, I apologize, I didn't say he declined to be interviewed. I, I don't know that we know what precipitated his interview or, or decision not to be interviewed. But he was interviewed the third time. He was, I'm sorry? Third time he was interviewed. Correct. So you said that um, there was a finding about the um, unwantedness on page 41. What I see is that um, the DHO says um, that um, Jordan's stepping of inmate Weekly's arm is by definition an assault, parentheses, unwanted touching of another. Is that what you're saying was a finding that it was unwanted? Um, I'm reading at the bottom of 41. 41 of the SCR? Yes, sir. Okay, I'm here. Assaulting another inmate by putting a foot on their hand or arm during a physical altercation between two inmates can escalate the incident between both inmates. But that's not a finding about whether Though it was unwanted. These are the reasons for the, the uh, okay. sanctions and actions taken. Right. These are the reasons. It's the DHO report. I know, but what I want to know written. is whether there's a finding that it was unwanted. I would submit that this is the way that a DHO would indicate this is their finding. I mean, these but are the conclusions. But he didn't say it was uh, – he, he seems to be saying, and he said in the other sentence I read, that essentially is putting your foot on their hand or arm during a physical altercation is an assault, unwanted or not. In, in the preceding two pages, they discussed the the impact of putting a foot on a combat right, and how it can that. elevate okay, into a, a melee. So is he applying a per se rule? Per se rule. Per right. se with whether it's wanted or not. 
as in strict liability or? Well, essentially, that whether it's wanted or not. That no. seems to be what he's saying. It's by no. definition a song. No, I would say it's an objective standard. But where does he find objectively, subjectively, or otherwise that it was, in fact, unwanted? Because no no reasonable victim, no reasonable person in that position would consent. But did he say that? Or did he make a finding of any kind about it? Uh, my, rec- my recollection is that he did, but... Well, I can't find it. I never did. I looked carefully. Um, above the part uh, number, above Section 7, about four paragraphs up, so still on the same page, but under, it would be under Roman numeral 5. Um, the DHO believes that Jordan stepping on Weekly's hand or arm rendered him with only one arm to defend himself against Mills, who was on top of inmate Weekly. The DHO believes that this could have resulted in Mills having an advantage against Weekly, and that incident could have resulted in more serious injuries as that's a result. That's all true. I mean, that's what, I don't know if it's true. It's true. That's what he said. But, but he but these are, didn't say. Weekly says it was not unwanted, and he... I mean, except for this very peculiar credibility finding, which doesn't say I'm not going to believe anything he said. It says I'm not going to believe, I'm going to give him less credence. But he never says I, I'm not giving that credence, and he never makes a finding about it. I would, I would submit that to, in the capacity of a, of a detention officer, this is their way of making a finding. This is their reasoned conclusions in this report. Mr. Schmidt, do you agree that uh, we're reviewing whether the Bureau met its own standard of proof de novo? You would review whether or not the petition was denied de novo. You would re- you would review the facts, findings made by the lower court for clear error. And the lower court? No. There's no lower court finding. We're looking at a record, um, and the Bureau's own standard of proof for the regulatory standard is the greater weight of the evidence, and the due process standard is some evidence. You agree right. with that, right? I agree with that. And our, our review then, similar to other um, review of administrative determinations, of whether they met their own standard or our standard under due process, that's, that's de novo? Yes. Okay. And you don't contest, I take it, that in this habeas proceeding, we can properly review whether or not they met their own regulatory standard as opposed to simply whether or not they afforded due process. You certainly haven't briefed that. I, I, correct. So I, that's why we're – it seems to me there's two different standards of review then for two different claims made by Mr. Jordan. So His due process claim – we, all we see is whether there's any evidence That's right. on the regulatory claim, if you will, because there's no statute here. We review to see whether any rational finder of fact could have reached the conclusion. I, I would agree with that. And, and there's an important caveat that sometimes gets omitted with respect to the greater weight of the evidence. The sum evidence standards applies to everything. The clear weight of the evidence only applies when there's conflicting evidence. The greater weight. The greater weight. I'm sorry, yes. And, and I guess just to follow up on, on Judge Hurwitz's question, because of the um, habeas posture of uh, this um, petition, does, does that suggest that um, does or does not the prison regulation here have the status of a law that we're reviewing um, for whether Mr. Jordan is de- detained in violation of? 
Well, I mean, it wouldn't be a criminal law. It's an administrative rule. So I'm guarded about where the question is going with that. I'm just trying to figure out. I think we pinned the parties down on whether it's a greater weight of evidence, whether we can hold on our de novo review the administrative record to see whether they met their own standard of proof. I would submit one important consideration. The greater weight only applies when there's conflicting evidence. We believe there's enough evidence that's not conflicting. That's undisputed. There's conflicting evidence. Well, there's not even conflicting evidence on this unwanted standard issue. I mean, there's only – there's not even conflicting evidence unless one draws – aside from the fact that there was no finding. So what do we do with that? Well, I would respectfully disagree on whether or not there was no finding. Well, where's the finding? I don't want to badger you. Sure. But every time I've asked you where the finding is, you read me a finding about something else, the finding about, you know, whether he in fact steps on his hand and whether in fact the – whether Miller was on top of him and so on, but not about the unwanted issue. And then we have Weakley saying that it was not unwanted, was not unwanted in the past, as well as I'm grateful for it. I mean, insofar as the district – if the only possible finding is when the DHO says something about whether he's grateful or not, but he didn't only say he was grateful. He said that it was unwanted. So I'm just having a hard time finding both how it could not be against the greater weight of the evidence because there doesn't seem to be any contrary evidence and there doesn't seem to be a finding. I understand Your Honor's concern. I've got one last question for you before you sit down. I know Weakley uses the term unwanted. Is it your view that unwanted and unconsented mean the same thing? For the purposes of this case, those definitions can overlap in sort of a common usage, and for purposes of this case, I'm not going to say that there's a difference. And you're not contending that there had to be an affirmative showing of consent? In other words, he didn't have to say, please step on my arm or something, right? Of course not, yes. Correct. All right. Unless you have anything else, Mr. Schmidt. Thank you. Just with respect to the conflicting greater weight, I mean, the reason why we can go with simply the sum evidence is because of the uncontroverted facts, the facts that the petitioner stepped on the arm, the fact that the combatant roles had shifted and now he was stepping on the arm of the victim. No reasonable victim would assent to that in the moment, in the moment. And that's the evaluation that was being done. Thank you. And I'd ask that you affirm the lower court's decision. Thank you. Ms. Tucker. Thank you, Your Honor. Well, in fact, the government acknowledged in its answering brief at 21, quote, crucially and unbeknownst to the petitioner at the time, he was stepping on the arm of the victim. So they've conceded that he, Mark Jordan, had no way of knowing in what position the victim was, whether Weakley was the aggressor or the victim. And furthermore, as Judge Berzon points out, the fact that he may have been at that moment, that it may have begun with him as the victim and now he got the knife, does not lead to the inexorable conclusion that he would not have wanted. It's not the inexorable conclusion, I guess. The question is whether it's a reasonable conclusion. 
Well, it could have been, but it also wasn't a conclusion made by the DHO because the DHO, again, did, never made a finding. And in fact, let me ask you, let me ask you this, and I think I, I recall the record correctly on this point. Your client never claimed that he had the consent of Mr. Weekly, did he? Our client was never asked whether he had the consent. That's not, that's not what I'm asking. <laughs> it, it never came up, well, wait, Your see, Honor. Normally, one would think that if you were, if you, if you had the consent of someone that you hit, you would know about that in advance and you would say so. But he never says so, does he? It never came up, Your Honor, in that way. I also would like to point out. Um, well, can, so can, can we infer from, see, in the normal situation when consent is a defense to assault, the assaulter says, oh, I had his consent. And we don't have that here, do we? Yeah, but I this is an element in who had the burden of proof. The burden of proof was on the Bureau of Prisons to find that. Well, but can, you, can you infer from Mr. Jordan, I know it never came up, and he, he didn't have you at the time, which would have been much better for him. Mm -hmm. But can you infer from the fact that he never claims consent, an no, absence you, of consent? No, you may not. And I just would like to point out, this is an unusual situation for this uh, question to come up. I believe in most cases with an unconsented touching uh, as an issue, it's not a knife fight between two people. Well, in most cases and with an unconsented touching, it's an affirmative defense. And therefore, the defendant has to prove that it was consented. This is strange because we all seem to agree in this case is an element mm -hmm. given the. So I'm just trying trying to figure out um, mm -hmm. whether or not your client's failure to claim consent mm -hmm. below led the so actually, <laughs> led the hearing officer not to make any 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 uh, finding on it. So, Your Honor, that actually leads me to another point I wanted to make, uh, if the court would. So um, my colleague suggests that you, this court, can find the fact of an unconsented touching, and I disagree. This court, first of all, the record wouldn't support such a finding, but this court is not a fact finder. And the fact that we keep grappling with this, I think, just goes to the problem here, which is that the requisite findings were never made by the DHO. The evidence was not sufficient for it to have made those findings, but it did not in any event. And I would also I, I, like I, to respond. Well, that, yes, that leads me to a question. Uh, Judge Burzal was going to ask first. Well, Let her go first. Just my curiosity, and maybe it's, we don't have time for this, but it, it, in fact, it, this is not, it, we, it's defined as an assault by the, um, in these regulations, but in fact, it's a battery, not an assault that they're talking about, right? Because it's not. Um, yeah. that, <laughs> right. that, that would be my that would be my reading. But again, the DHO so did it, not. If it was it. actually an assault, ordinarily this would not be an assault anyhow, because it was it, it, whatever it was. It was actually it actually happened. Correct. Right. So, just a really quick question. If, do you want us to send this back to the prison? to see whether or not a finding of, of non-consent, of cons, unconsented touching can be made because they failed to make one? Or you, or you what do you suggest that, it's a habeas, what, what, what are you doing? Correct. Your Honor, the relief we are seeking is for the court to remand to the district court with instructions to grant the habeas petition, restore Mr. Jordan's 27 days of good time credit, and expunge his disciplinary record. The Bureau of Well, is it a conditional writ, though? That's my question. Is it a conditional writ based on them not making a finding of, 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 of non-consent, if you will, or is it an unconditional writ? 
This is unconditional. And the Bureau of Prisons has had 14 years with this. There were three hearings. There were three reports. There were four habeas cases. These incidents took place 14 years ago. One of the witnesses is dead. Do we have any idea why they kept doing this over? Uh, I do not know, Your Honor, but it was exceptionally uh, dilatory on their part. Here's a strange question. Is there any chance that having a mediator talk to the two of you would be of any use? I beg your pardon? Is there any chance that having a mediator talk to the parties about this 14-year-old case would be of any help? Your Honor, um, we did approach the government about a settlement, um, but it was not fruitful. So you you don't think, I guess I'd ask both sides, would mediation be beneficial? Potentially. We would prefer a ruling. Of course. (laughs) And they'd prefer a ruling under which they win. (laughs) I'm just trying, I'm asking why you're both here, whether or not mediation might be beneficial. Can we ask the government attorney that? I I came on this case a year ago. I saw a 14 year history and I was involved, looked into the procedural process, and um, I saw that there were, so every time the prisoner moves to another federal penitentiary, the jurisdiction shifts to that locality. And for about 10 years, it was the, it was kicked down, the can was kicked down the road, no question about it, uh, until 2016. Yes, but that doesn't explain why you keep having new hearings. You could have had new cases with the old hearing, but you keep having new hearings. You know, um, Ms. Tucker and I, she alerted me to the fact that Mr. Jordan was about to be moved out of Tucson, and I saw my opportunity to escape <laughs> this, and I... I, I but what's I, the answer to the mediation question? What, what you yes, ask? all right. So, I mean, the, the, the history is what it is. It, well, you don't have to answer us today, but I wonder whether or not we might ask the parties to let us know within a brief period of time I, whether they're – because it, it does seem to me – I don't mean to minimize this, but it's 27 days of good time in a 30-year sentence, and yes. the events occurred – over a decade ago, so we're, I'm trying to figure out whether or not from either side's perspective it makes sense to get together and see whether some agreement can be made. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a minion in my office. I, 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 well, that's I, why I said you can until, take, take some time to respond. Until, until 10 seconds. Ask that next higher minion. <laughs> until about 10 seconds ago, I didn't know mediation was even a possible outcome. Um, and, well, and, and, I mean, we have my, wonderful mediators. They my, my, sometimes do surprising, manage surprising uh, things. And what we usually do is we don't tell you to go mediate. We tell you to have, we say to have a telephone call with the mediation office about whether you should go uh, forward with mediation. Okay. My only trepidation about that, Your Honor, is, I mean, we look at the case law history, the progeny of this kind of litigation, and there's numerous cases involving 27 days. My fear is that the precedent would get set. Well, you may, here, you, well, let me make it easy for you. You can say no. You can say yes. Mediations don't set precedents. They, don't, they sometimes result in settlements, and they sometimes don't. If, if it's uh, me- and we shouldn't do any more today than just alert you to the possibility that it's available and let you talk to the other side. And, uh, on that note, um, Ms. Tucker, if you have anything to close um, briefly and then. Thank you, Your Honors, unless there are further questions. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thanks to both counsel for their presentations and your, and your patience with our questions. We appreciate it. We'll follow up.
That case is now submitted.